That's Sokka's train <laughs> of thought right there. Yes, that is that is Sokka's train of thought. I also like how he hates that he says it. He's like scowling and he's like, I don't want to ask, <laughs> but what mission? <laughs> Hello again, and welcome to Avatar, the podcast. We are your hosts, Acorn Bandit, and is that Booster Greg? Yeah, is it? Is it? Where is he? Quick, get him. Oh, wait. Yeah, it is me. Hi. Hello. Today, we are going to be talking about episode 10, Jet, or as we like to call it, Sokka's Instincts. I've been working on that that Mae Whitman impression for a couple days now. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Before we dive into the episode, we would like to thank our latest piece of Aang mail. This one comes from Carmine, and Carmine writes, Hello there, Acorn and Greg. I just wanted to say thank you for doing such an awesome job with the podcast. It keeps me from going insane with boredom at work, which not even the podcast I've been listening to for a while can do. I'd also like to say that my MVP for the Winter Solstice Part 1 episode is obviously Acorn Mm -hmm. because she can beat Aang and Sokka in a fight within the first few minutes and then save the day by calming down an angry spirit monster. Sure, Aang was there and played a role, but we all know who really convinced Heibai to be cool. Anyways, hoping you both stay safe and healthy in these worrisome times, and I hope when Greg reads or hears this email, he instinctively replies to my hello there with a General Kenobi. General Kenobi. That's my, that's my, (laughs) I've been working on a lot of impressions these past couple days. There you go, Carmine. Nothing better to do, right? Yep, nothing better. Thank you so much, Carmine. And thank you also for recognizing the very important role I played in that episode. I want to say thank you again, Nickelodeon, for having me on as a very important character. We could even argue the MVP for all of the reasons that Carmine listed. I mean, I I think that we didn't say MVP just because it was so obvious that you you are. So, you know, we don't want to try to play favorites here, although we have literally an entire segment on playing favorites. But still. We really appreciate the feedback, Carmine. Thank you so much for writing us. And I believe we also got another five-star review. Yeah, we did. We This one comes courtesy of Lids the Squids. And Lids writes, love it, love it, love it. I've loved Avatar The Last Airbender for years. When it came to Netflix, I had to rewatch for like the fourth time. I drive a lot for my job and thought it would be fun to listen to a recap podcast of my favorite show. I listened to a few direct ones and none of them really stuck out to me until I found Avatar, the podcast. These two have good chemistry and they really do their homework. They always seem to have good nuggets of insight for each episode. I've listened to every episode so far and can't wait for more. Thank you, Greg and Acorn for putting in the effort to make each episode smart and enjoyable smiley face smiley face smiley face i don't know if they realized but they basically just listed our like entire thesis for this show like how can we be smart and enjoyable and keep people from going crazy at work like carmine yeah yeah i try to be as enjoyable and as so as smart as i can be on these episodes and acorn just takes care of all the like super entertaining and smart stuff it's great it's great (laughs) So, Lids the Squids and Carmine, thank you so much for the five-star review, Lids, and for the Ang mail. That's what we're calling it now. That's that's if you I email it. us, it's Ang mail. That's what it is. Uh, thank you again for the the kind words of support and the love and 
and everything. We super appreciate it. We we literally would not be doing this if it wasn't for not only our love of Avatar The Last Airbender, but also the fantastic community that surrounds it. Yes, it makes it so worth it, especially mm-hmm. to hear from people who love the show as much as we do and really appreciate what we're putting together because it is a labor of love, but we do it for, for not only us, but also you. Mm-hmm. We've also received some other feedback, which we are going to continue sharing with each episode. So if you have some thoughts on your mind or if you want to share anything related to the show, please leave either a five-star review or add to our inbox with some more Aang mail. At avatarthepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can even tweet at us at podcast avatar. Uh, I literally check those. I feel hourly at times. And it doesn't matter what time of the day it is. If we get any sort of response... Uh, I message Acorn immediately, even if it's like two o'clock in the morning and she messages me if she sees it first. It's like a race to see who he sees these first. It is. It is actually. Because so good. It has turned into a race. It and has. then we uh, and then we proceed to scream at each other through DMs because yes. we're so excited. It's, yes. It's all capitalizations, all multiple exclamation points and emojis, sometimes gifts. Yes. Sometimes gifts. <laughs> All right. And we also have some fun news that we found on nickalive.blogspot.com. They covered an article about the Cabbage Man, or really the voice of the Cabbage Man, who is... James C. James was interviewed and was quoted as saying he would absolutely love to return to the Avatar project in the live action series, reprising his now very famous role of the Cabbage Merchant. The article is really fascinating and has a transcription of the interview between John O'Brien, the staff writer on Avatar, Joshua Hamilton, one of the writer's assistants, Andrea Romano, the voice director, and then also James C. We're going to include the link in our show notes, um, but he shares in this article that he has seen an incredible response to people about his character, from cosplayers at conventions to even receiving fan mail from people who are just so in love with the Cabbage Man. So the whole Avatar community is eagerly awaiting news and updates on the live action remake on Netflix. And we here at Avatar, the podcast, would love to see James C. play the Cabbage Merchant uh, for real. Yeah, absolutely. They should never, ever, ever recast this character. But if they do, there's only one person that I would be happy playing this role. And that would be a many... Jacinto or Jacinto, uh, who plays Jason Mendoza on The Good Place. I'd be the only other person oh my that I would be happy yes. with. I want James C, but if he's unavailable, get get Manny for sure. Let's see this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He says something funny in the article about being willing to grow out his goatee to really <laughs> capture the likeness of the cabbage yes. merchant, which I thought was amazing. Yes. I was going to read it verbatim, but we will just include the link in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into the episode, Jet. This episode was written by James Egan and directed by our favorite, yes. Dave Filoni. Love him so much. I love it. I love I love this episode. Sometimes I'm glad that they include the uh, written by and directed by cards until after the episode is done. So I can't like make a decision beforehand about like, oh, Dave yes. Filoni directed this. I'm going to love this immediately. No, it's natural, <laughs> yeah. which is nice. You have to go on the merit of the episode, then go, I knew it! Yes. It was Dave Filoni. <laughs> Our episode opens in a lush wood where Momo is stalking a yellow beetle through the trees, determined to eat it for a snack. When the chase leads him to the forest floor, he stumbles across a better meal, a pile of lychee nuts. 
It quickly proves to be a trap, however, as when he pounces on the fruit, a round hunter's trap snaps around him and hoists him into the trees. He wasn't the only one. He sees a pair of hog monkeys swinging nearby in their own traps. Some distance away, Aang wonders where Momo went. Just then, they hear Momo screeching through the trees, and the three go to investigate. When they find Momo trapped high in the red canopy, Aang uses his airbending to reach the trap and lower it to the ground. An unfazed and potentially ungrateful Momo escapes the trap and immediately starts eating the one lychee nut he was able to hold on to. Sokka uses his boomerang to cut down the other two traps and free the hog monkeys inside. He identifies the metalwork of the traps as being Fire Nation and tells the others they should pack up camp and get moving. But no more flying. Sokka believes it's because of their giant flying bison that the Fire Nation keeps finding them. I mean... It's fair. At least he's the one thinking about, like, how do we keep on getting near caught over the past couple days? Yeah, it's like, how do they keep finding us? Oh, maybe it's the giant flying bison that has a giant arrow on his head. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the last air bison known to this planet right now (laughs) that we're relying on as our means of transportation. Hmm. Maybe we should just, like, not use it for the time being for a little bit. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, just uh, walk. Yeah. I do think it's really cute that Aang's like, Sokka's just jealous because he doesn't have an arrow and like pets Appa. I mean, I'm jealous that I don't have an arrow, but you know, let's, let's not, it's a little bit of a sore subject, so let's not get into that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, we will move on. We get our first encounter with Sokka's instincts when he says they should play it safe this time and walk. Katara challenges him on being the group's leader and Sokka insists that because he's the oldest and also a warrior, that makes him the leader. Katara protests, saying that if anyone would be their leader, it should be Aang, because he's the Avatar. Sokka disagrees, however, pointing out that Aang can't be their leader since he's just a goofy kid, which Aang himself agrees with. I love that. It's just like, he's just a goofy kid and he's hanging upside down, I think. He's just like, he's right. I am just a goofy kid. It's like classic Aang. So humble and yet like so comedic at the same time. Like that just really resonated with me where he obviously... Not just because of the way he was brought up, but his personality is not going to be the one to be like, I'm the leader. He didn't even want to be the avatar at first. We learned a, a couple episodes back. Right. Yeah. So he's, although he is supposed to be this great, all powerful being, he is still kind of shirking off that responsibility, even like a mm-hmm. little low jab kind of way like this one. He's still not ready. Yeah. He's like, that's OK. I know. I am goofy. I am a kid. <laughs> Look at me hanging upside on Appa's horns and playing with butterflies. Playing with butterflies. He's precious. Yeah. I bet you wouldn't be so bossy if you'd kissed a girl, Katara teases. And Sokka quickly insists that he has kissed a girl. Katara just hasn't met her. I do have a girlfriend. She's in Canada. You've never met her. (laughs) Yes. That classic trope. Did Katara... I meant to go back and rewatch the episode, but I honestly... I just forgot, to be honest with you. I don't know if Katara and Suki actually met. No, I, once he said that, I started thinking about it and I don't think they officially met. I don't think they did. I think the closest they came is her seeing Suki in the village square when they're tied up to the pole. But then after that, Suki was off with the Kyoshi warriors training and seeing like Sokka. That's right. And then Katara was too busy, like worrying about the, the, the gang of girls that were just following Aang around no matter where he went. And then pretending not to worry. And then pretending not to worry, but secretly being the most worried. Yes. And jealous. And jealous. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So in this scene, she thinks he's referring to their grandmother. And so Katara teases him that she has, in fact, met Grand Grand. Mm. 
After more back and forth about safety and instincts, the group agrees to walk, with Aang musing that walking might even be fun. I love that part when they're walking and it's just like, how, like, oh man, this pack is really heavy. You know what would be great with that heavy pack? Sokka's instincts. You should ask it to <laughs> carry that. That's, yeah, that's true. Hey, Sokka's instincts, can you carry it? And Sokka's just like, shut up. Yep. <laughs> so good. Such classic, like, best friend, like, ragging. Yeah, yeah. And just the delivery from Mae Whitman, too, on, like, Sokka's instincts. Just the way she, it's like, it goes up and then it's super mocking at the same time, but sweet, yes. but also not, oh, it's so good. So perfect. Mae Whitman's voice acting is just like a masterwork in this. There are so many one-liner guitar lines that I just am so in love with. Yeah, same. Walking is, in fact, not fun, Aang decides. As the group walks along the forest path, Katara continues to tease Sokka about his instincts, using them as the butt of multiple jokes that Aang eventually jumps in on. Their banter is interrupted, however, when they stumble right into a Fire Nation campsite. After a moment of shocked silence from both groups, the gang dumps their gear on the ground and try to run away, but are blocked by a wall of fire. Sokka's sleeve even catches on fire and Katara quickly puts it out with waterbending. Sokka tries to bluff their way out of the situation by telling the soldiers no harm will come to them if they let the group go. The soldiers scoff at this, but one of them suddenly slumps to the ground unconscious. Aang congratulates Sokka and asks him how he did it. Uh, instinct? <laughs> I just love that part. It's like, whoa, that's great. How'd you do it? Uh, my instincts, I, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's like my instincts are more powerful than I even realized. Yeah. <laughs> What is this instinct? <laughs> Katara points to a boy in the trees. They watch as he swings down to the ground using two hook swords and lands on the back of two soldiers. Wasting no time, he hooks two more by the ankle and vaults them over his head to land in a heap. After delivering a catchy one-liner, the boy is joined by a ragtag group that begin disrupting the soldiers' camp and disarming the soldiers. Katara and Aang join the fight with their bending, but when Sokka prepares to fight a soldier with his boomerang, the mysterious boy gets to him first. Gotta be quicker next time, he tells Sokka. So, this guy over here, when you, whenever, there, there's a golden rule for me in many a different show, especially more recent ones. If someone is too cool for school, they probably are bad news. Yes. So, like... We get this like really like literally the definition of cool. His outfit kind of looks like he took some, I don't know, some Fire Nation like armor and just like patched his clothes with it. Mm -hmm. He's got a straw hanging out of his mouth at all times. He's got these like crazy hook sword things, which they go by a couple different names. Hook swords, twin hooks, tiger heads or tiger blades. And they essentially, just a quick little fun fact for everyone, they are three weapons in one, a long pole with a hook at the end, an arched blade above the fist, and spearhead beneath the handle. So they do like all this crazy stuff. We see him like use them very strategically and very uh, intelligently throughout this episode. But he's got these like crazy cool weapons that you've never really seen before, in at least in Avatar. Right. And he's he's just so cool. And he's got like this really cool voice. And he looks like he's straight out of an anime. <laughs> Actually. He kind of looks like he his hair is very similar to um, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. Yes. Yes, it is. The whole animation style of this episode is super anime-ish. So you have like a little bit of Samurai Champloo, like, And it's just like the coolest looking, like visually animated episode thus far. And it's because this guy comes in through the trees, saves the day, 
delivers one one liners effortlessly has a ragtag crew and none of them are as cool looking as he is but yet they're all still unique in their own way yes it's just like yeah ah. he's like he's like the definition of cool guy right yeah. his whole intro is a cool guy intro and about his hook swords um I read somewhere that aren't they associated with northern styles of Chinese martial arts? And that's like their their yeah. origin in our real world. Yeah, that's what I that's what I saw too. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah. It doesn't take long for the newcomers to incapacitate the rest of the soldiers. The mysterious boy introduces himself to the group as Jet and also names the rest of his freedom fighters. Sneers, Longshot, Smellerby, the Duke, and Pipsqueak. Aang laughs at the name Pipsqueak, assuming it belongs to the little kid wearing a giant helmet. When the giant man standing next to the kid menacingly asks Aang if he thinks his name is funny, Aang says it's hilarious. And then they both laugh together. Again, classic Aang moment where it's just like, this is really funny. Your name is Pipsqueak and you're a little kid. And the other guy's like, well, you think my name's so funny. And then he looks, <laughs> he goes, yeah, actually, now it's more funny. It's hilarious. And he's just like true to himself. He doesn't try to like take a step back and reword anything he's just like yes this is funny to me and the other, and pipsqueak is like yeah i guess you're right that is funny <laughs> yeah he's so honest and pure which i guess wins people over yeah oh yeah yeah i did i did read that jet and his gang weren't very defined when they were first writing the episode and so they wanted to give them more personality and individuality so mike and brian hired uh ryu ki hyun one of the animators at jm studio to draw some concepts of the characters and those concepts were so good that they went on to become Jet and his gang. But the character personalities and designs were so good in the long run that Jet, Longshot, and Smellerby come back later in the show. So we will definitely see them again. So and something else that's really cool is Jet was voiced by Crawford Wilson. So if that name seems kind of familiar, he has appeared in Zoe 101 as Brad, which I don't really know of, but... He also did voice Nightwing in the Batman, the Brave and the Bold series. Ooh. And uh, the other really cool thing, I couldn't find if he had voiced Robin in Brave and the Bold, but in the video game for Batman, Brave and the Bold, he w did voice Robin. So that was really interesting. Smellerby was voiced by uh, Nika Futterman. She also voiced Asagi Ventress in Star Wars Clone Wars. That one I know. Yes. Ventress is scary. She's very scary. I love it. Also, in addition to that, She's done voices for Psychonauts, uh, Marvel's Ultimate Alliance 3, World of Warcraft, and many other games. And uh, the Duke was voiced by Mitch Hollerman, who played Jake in Reba. Reba. I've never seen Reba. The, you Wait, know, what's the, Reba? Reba is the, uh, I think you would call it like a sitcom uh, for Reba McIntyre. She had oh, her own show. Oh, that one. Yeah. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah. I don't think um, I ever watched it, but I think it was airing when I was... Uh... A teenager, I guess. Yes. I never watched it, but I know a lot of people who enjoyed it. It just wasn't for me because I also don't like country music. Yeah, same. Sorry. So I was like, yeah, sorry. That's, that's just not my bag. Pipsqueak wasn't really like they, that person literally had three credits to their name and one of them was Pipsqueak. So they never mm. it wasn't anyone you would know from. But I thought Smellerby was very interesting being Asagi Ventress and this again, this episode being directed by Dave Filoni. Yeah. Oh my gosh. The connections behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. So cool. Mm -hmm. I do. I do think it's cool how Smellerby is one of the characters from the Freedom Fighters who comes back in the in the series. Yeah. So I guess it is appropriate being voiced by one of the like, more recognizable names. Yeah, I agree. The Freedom Fighters get to work picking through the camp for supplies. Katara approaches Jet, who is leaning against a tree, to thank him for helping earlier. I should be thanking you, Jet tells her. 
He and his group had been waiting to ambush the soldiers all morning and received the distraction they needed when Katara and the others stumbled into the camp. We were relying on instincts, Katara says, pointedly blaming her brother's leadership. Jet aligns with her saying that relying on instincts will get you killed. Overhearing their conversation from the other side of the camp, Sokka scowls and walks away. Instincts? That'll get you killed. <laughs> too cool. Too cool, man. Come exactly. on. Exactly. It's like, oh my gosh, so edgy. Yeah. If they didn't make such a joke out of Sokka's instincts in the beginning of this episode, I would have 100% wanted to call this episode Edgelord. Just because that's what Jet is. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> he really is an Edgelord. The Duke and Pipsqueak find blasting jelly and jellied candy among the supplies, and when Jet tells them to bring both back to their camp, Katara and Aang are intrigued and excitedly ask Jet if they can see the hideout. Jet leads them deep into the forest to an unassuming spot. When he announces they've arrived, there is nothing to see but tree roots, bushes, and giant tree trunks around them. He hands Sokka a dangling rope, and as soon as Sokka takes hold, he's pulled high into the red canopy. Aang uses airbending to follow, leaving Katara and Jet behind on the ground. Jet offers his hand to Katara and twirls her into his side where he holds her as they ascend into the air. Nope. No, sir. I don't like it. Not one bit. Nope. Red Mm-mm. flags. Nope. <laughs> don't All like. All over the place. Yo, go away, Jet. Go <laughs> jet set whatever somewhere else. Like that's... That sounds like that really dumb dad joke about make like a tree and leave. Yeah. <laughs> jet out of here. Beat it. <laughs> This scene actually, though, like, so take Jet out of it. This scene is actually really fun. I like yeah. how the uh, the creators of the show did a really good job of capturing what it's like to have a teenage crush because, okay, red flags aside, Jet is confident, he's strong, he's capable, and he's handsome. So these are all qualities that Katara finds attractive. So it's no wonder that she likes him when they meet. Yeah. And so the moment with the golden light, the falling leaves, and the picturesque forest around them, it really illustrates her feelings and how she's probably falling for him. Yeah, sure. Yeah, they really like kind of like dive you right in. They're like, this is, they want to make you a point. There's nothing subtle about this. She is blinded by her emotions and her yes. feelings and everything in terms of Jet. So, yeah. They reach the top of the trees and find an elaborate treehouse camp connected by suspended walkways. Jet explains that the Fire Nation can't find them up here, even though they want to after he and his freedom fighters started making their lives difficult a few years back. Pipsqueak explains they've been ambushing their troops, cutting off their supply lines, and doing anything they can to mess with them, with the goal of driving the Fire Nation out of the region for good. Katara is impressed and calls Jet brave. Sokka, who pops up behind Jet, retorts that, yeah, nothing's braver than a guy in a treehouse. Speaking of the treehouses real quick, too. Um, yeah. Dave Filoni, who we all know, because I'm going to say his name as much as I can in this episode. Dave uh, Filoni, Dave Filoni, Dave, Dave Filoni, Filoni, Dave Filoni, <laughs> Dave Filoni, designed the forest and Jet's hideout. And everyone knows that he is, I'm just going to say, it, I'm going to make a bold statement right here. He is the biggest Star Wars fan to the point where he actually is now pretty much in charge of like all of the Star Wars consultation. Um, oh my gosh. So like he designed this hideout and it's a reference to the Ewoks Forest Village in Star Wars uh, episode six specifically return of the jedi which came out in 1983 just making sure everyone knows that (laughs) in the original sketches of the hideout he even referenced to the middle section of the trees where the hideout was located as the ewok area which is really that is so cool oh my gosh i love that i'm also going to take this opportunity to plug the old 90s animated Ewok show as one of the shows that i woke up for to watch in the morning (laughs) as a kid it was my favorite yeah 
Yeah, I, I actually, on that note, read that Dave um, was recognized as always being imaginative and having a comprehensive approach to conceptualizing the episodes that he directed. So I knew he sketched and he like got really involved in the creative process and helped the artistic team to develop the show. But that's that's awesome that he injected so much Star Wars influence. Well, he was a storyboard artist. I'm like very certain. Of. Oh, is that why? Yeah. His early career was, and this is before Lucasfilm Animation. He worked uh, as a storyboard artist for King of the Hill specifically. Oh. So, you know, and he's done many other things after that, but that was like his storyboard artist thing you would know. Okay. So, that's so cool. That, that's why he's so conceptual. Yeah. Is he's just like, yeah, cool. Like this is like, he'll read it on paper, but he has to visualize it. So he like mm-hmm. sketches it out really quickly. And that's what led him more into, I think, the more action-y stuff in 2D animation and then eventually into 3D animation. So you know, from Avatar into Star Wars. And he, Star Wars was even a big challenge for him to conceptualize 3D action versus 2D action. Oh, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think from a director standpoint, though, that gives him an edge because having understood that field, he's able to communicate his ideas more easily mm-hmm. through like a drawing or a concept yeah. to make sure that it goes the direction that he wants it to go. Oh, sure. Yeah. A picture is worth a thousand words. That's what they say. Or a thousand Ewoks. thousand Ewoks. Ah, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I do have kind of a silly fun fact uh, from the real world, not the Avatar world. Did you know the largest treehouse is located in Alnwick, Scotland? I do now. It was built 60 feet in the air and is a whopping 6,000 square feet. Ooh. It cost $7 million to build. And aside from being the world's largest treehouse... Uh, it's otherwise a big tourist attraction because it has a restaurant. I want to go there. I do too. I don't too. even care what they serve. I want to eat I know. there. I love that idea of eating a meal in a treehouse. What kind of meals do you think they would serve? It's Scotland. So that's a good question. Maybe like Scottish food? If it's only haggis, I'll be very sad. I would be so sad too. I would be there and be like, it's okay. I'll have water. Thanks. <laughs> it's okay. I'll just look out the window <laughs> longingly. Yes. Jet tells Katara that each of the Freedom Fighters have a unique history with the Fire Nation that involves losing their homes or parents. Katara tells him the story of losing her own mother, which is something that bonds her even closer to Jet and his mission. Later that night, the Freedom Fighters and Team Avatar gather around a dinner table, where Jet gives a toast to their victory against the Fire Nation that day. Oozing charisma, he riles up the Freedom Fighters to cheers and applause. I I had a thought about Jet and his crew. Yes. We they don't tell us where they're from. Not specifically, no. Just that they lost their homes and were, you know, affected by the Fire Nation in some way. Yeah, but like their current woods are located in the Fire Nation because there's a Fire Nation village there. I think it's actually the Earth Kingdom. Is there so there's just a random Fire Nation village in the middle of the Earth Kingdom? I think it's more of a camp because they did mention in the hideout that the Fire Nation arrived at the local town a couple years ago. And I think it's more that they're occupying the town. Oh, they it's just not took a over? town of. Yeah, I think they took over. Uh... We don't know why, because in Imprisoned, the reason they were in Haru's village is because of the local mines because right. they wanted to use that for their fleet. But right. here, I don't I don't know why they would be here. I think one of the big things that was like kind of getting me stuck was the fact that there's not just like soldiers there there's old men women children like there's families living there and it's having like it seems very almost 
like to Sokka's fears and his uh, stereotyping and and discriminatory like remarks of the Fire Nation that everyone like even children would go in and just raid a town just to like take it over. Like it seemed like it, it was almost like they were there. The reason why I'm bringing this all up is because I thought it would be very interesting if Jet was actually of Fire Nation origin and just dislikes Ooh. his own people. That would be a really cool twist. Because he does look like he would be a Fire Nation like person or like citizen. He does kind of. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I you know what? <laughs> That's so fun. I accept that in my head canon. Yeah. He he originally was because I, I don't think we ever find out. We see him later in, in book two when they get to Bossing Say, but we don't, I think, ever find out where he comes from. So I like that. I think Jet was originally a Fire Nation citizen and uh, rejected his homeland and his people and has been fighting them ever since. Yeah. Try- oh, man. And then he's trying to like undo what the Fire Nation does, but that makes him worse than what he's fighting because he's just like murdering innocent people. Oh, my God. That's awful. Oh, man. <laughs> in a great way. Yeah. In a character building way. <laughs> I'm quickly checking the wiki. Okay. And it, all it says is he's a teenage leader of a group of refugee Earth Kingdom children who yeah. call themselves the Freedom Fighters. And when he was eight years old, he witnessed the death of his parents at the hands of the Fire Nation soldiers known as the Rough Rhinos. And so he grew up to be the hook sword wielding vigilante that he is today. Hmm. I guess it's implied in that that he is of Earth Kingdom descent but i still like to think that he's not because all of his like pipsqueak 100 percent looks like like an earth kingdom citizen yes to me. no he does like they all do except for him maybe it's just because he looks so cool and like generally speaking <laughs> the fire nation look really cool we're projecting yes yeah we are <laughs> yeah we'll we'll readdress this in book two because i think we're gonna hear more about his backstory in um the episode about lake lao guy okay but i don't know how much yeah fair. but for the meantime Headcanon accepted. Mm-hmm. Jet hops down from the table after delivering his speech and sits next to Aang and Katara and compliments them on their bending that day. Katara deflects the compliment by pointing out that Aang is great because he's the Avatar, while she still has a lot to learn. Jet starts to propose a way for them to help the cause, but Sokka doesn't want to hear any of it and says they have to leave that night. When Jet tells him he has an important mission planned for Sokka, Sokka pauses and says, what mission? Oh, me? You talking to me? You talking to me? Well, now I'm going to stay because you're talking about me because it v- involves me. And now you need me. And I like you because you need me. You had me at the word mission. Mission and Sokka. Go. <laughs> yes. The next day, the Freedom Fighters hide in the trees above a forest path and wait for Fire Nation travelers. Using a water tribe technique of lodging the blade of his jawbone dagger into a tree trunk to amplify vibrations, Sokka reports to Jet that there should only be one person approaching their position. A moment later, Sokka catches sight of that person and sees that it's just a feeble old man. He calls a false alarm, but Jet ignores him and eagerly leaps out of the trees. Jet knocks the cane out of the old man's hands and accuses him of being Fire Nation and, by relation, responsible for the destruction of innocent towns and families. When the old man tells Jet that he's just a traveler, Jet is not convinced and continues to attack him, this time physically. It takes Sokka intervening to keep Jet from kicking the man who at this point is lying defenseless on the ground. This is one of those scenes where Sokka is seeing from a different perspective, his own biases, and he doesn't like it. Yes, I love that. It's taken to an extreme, but he's just like, this is just an old man. Sure, he's Fire Nation, but then I think he comes to that realization. We don't, they don't make a big deal out of it, but right then and there, 
Sokka's train of thought is this is just an old man. Sure, he's Fire Nation, but he's not an old man. That doesn't make him bad. And then just like that, he's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I like to think that that was the internal monologue he was having with himself or coming to that realization of, oh, these are the things I was saying about the Fire Nation, how they're all bad, but really this is just an old man and he's not hurting anyone. Right. So he's, you know, supposedly innocent. Yeah. Yeah, this is a pretty intense scene. You know, it starts out orderly and structured, uh, makes you think the freedom fighters are the good guys. They know what they're doing and and all of that. But then when we see Jet projecting his hatred of the Fire Nation onto this old man, it's actually pretty frightening. It's like the definition of a feeble old man, missing teeth, hunched over, like... Yeah, gnarled. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And I, I know for me, this is the first real hint that something's not quite right. And it's it's the first like real red flag that goes up in my head going like, whoa. Oh, actually, no, I take that back. The first real red flag is when he was delivering his speech the previous night and he used the phrase, they're dead wrong. Yeah. Like that. That's a little extreme, Jet. I, I dislike whenever anyone writes that sentence. It just seems yes. like it's such bad writing. It's like they're wrong. Dead wrong. It's like <laughs> I think it's just because we've heard it so many times in different media. Yeah, that, that's fair, too. Uh, something else really cool. This is going to be minor spoilery. So if you want to fast forward five seconds, you can. The way Sokka hears the old man is very reminiscent of Toph. True. So Sokka puts his dagger into or whatever you want to call it into the tree and listens to it and hears like the vibrations of the old man's footsteps, which is very similar to what our friend Toph does. Okay. Spoiler over. Back at the camp, Sokka sits in thought on one of the wooden platforms while Aang plays with small exploding poppers nearby. The poppers get too close to Momo and he screeches and climbs onto Aang's head where he steals the poppers and throws them at Aang's feet. That's foreshadowing right there even more. Is it? Because this, For me, it is. Because like right now we see that Jet isn't all he really appears to be because he's picking on an old man. But like we really still don't know. We get red flags, but we really still don't know that this old man is just like an old man, right? And then the fact that the toy that they use is destructive in nature, even if it's just like a little mild, like that thing will put like divots in the floor and is scary and Momo doesn't like it. Like it, for me, it's just like another like, hey, pay attention. These people are not great. Yeah. Almost like an ominous symbol. Yeah. yeah. In the form of just something as simple as like poppers. Right. Yeah. So. Katara joins them when she climbs down a ladder onto the platform and asks Sokka if Jet is back. Sokka says yes, but they're leaving. Disappointed, Katara reveals that she's made a hat for Jet, a garish creation <laughs> that looks kind of like a knitted tea cozy with a flower on top. We can't leave. I made him a hat. Like, yikes. <laughs> that thing's awful. It's so bad. Sokka calls Jet a thug, causing both Katara and Aang to defend him. They don't believe Sokka when he tells them Jet beat up an old man and insist that they ask for Jet's side of the story. In Jet's quarters, he explains that not only was the man Fire Nation, he was also an assassin. Jet produces a dagger that proves this, revealing the dagger has a secret compartment for poison. Jet claims that the man was sent to eliminate him and by interfering with the others, Sokka helped save his life. Katara is obviously relieved by the explanation, but Sokka continues to frown and claims he never saw a knife. Jet says the dagger was concealed, and Sokka storms out. Jet tells Aang and Katara that he really hopes they aren't leaving yet because he needs their help. The Fire Nation is planning on burning down their forest, and Jet needs their help with bending water into a reservoir, 
to use for fighting the fires. So a few things in this. One of them is we all know that the knife was planted there. Like that's yes, very obvious. Very much implied. The other thing is that that knife, there is no way that old man, that feeble old man was holding a knife that heavy, believably a weapon to brandish in a quick attack or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way. So Jet is not only a bad person, he is a terrible liar too. Like he's not even a good liar. Like he could have just gotten a shiv and just been like, this is what I found on him, which would have been super believable for like an old man. But no, he is this very like ornate weapon with like almost like uh, like knuckle guards with spikes on them. Yeah, it's like it's a lot. Yeah, it was just like, come on. No, you're right. Like a shiv or even like a, a concealed sword inside a cane or something. That would be more the speed of like a quote unquote feeble old man who's actually an assassin. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was um kind of extra yeah. when he made that claim. Absolutely. Katara and Aang find Sokka and tell him they can't leave yet. When Sokka tells them that Jet is smooth but cannot be trusted, Katara dishes out her own assessment. Sokka is jealous that Jet is a better warrior and a better leader than him. Sokka tries to tell them that it isn't jealousy, but his instincts that are telling him something is up with Jet, but Katara does not let him finish. Her instincts tell her they should stay and help Jet. Is it your instincts, Katara? Is that, is that where that's coming from? Are those, are those instincts coming from, from your, your brain or your heart? From your heart. Your, your poor misguided heart. <laughs> Go make another terrible hat. It's fine. <laughs> we rag on her but like i think we've all been there we've seen people thought they're you know the greatest thing yep. and they're actually not <laughs> they're actually terrible they're they actually frame old men for being assassins yes mm -hmm. yes and and they make the worst mistake or they make the worst decisions possible like always having a piece of grass in your mouth at any given point <laughs> it's not a style stop trying to make it a thing jet <laughs> Later that night, as Appa snoozes in the treetops and Team Avatar is asleep in their rooms, Jet and his freedom fighter sneak out of their camp, waking Sokka in the process. Sokka follows them through the woods to a hill overlooking the reservoir. Jet reminds his crew that they aren't to blow the dam until he gives the signal, because if the reservoir is not full when it blows, the Fire Nation troops could survive. When the Duke asks him about the innocent people in the town, Jet explains that that's the price of ridding the area of the Fire Nation. Sokka overhears all of this but is captured by Pipsqueak and Smellerby before he can sneak away. Sokka is brought before Jet and tells him that he heard all about his plans to destroy the Earth Kingdom town. Their plan is to rid the Valley of the Fire Nation, Jet corrects him. Those mothers, fathers, and children Sokka brought up? The war can't be won without making some sacrifices. And Katara and Aang wouldn't understand the demands of war, not like he and Sokka do. This whole, ugh, this whole scene is so upsetting. I'm just shaking my head. I know no one can hear that, but the whole time I'm just like, <laughs> I nope, I are. don't like it. Not one bit. Not good. <laughs> Jet's manipulation and gaslighting, it's, it's so unsettling. You know, he starts out smooth, strong, and charismatic, and then it just devolves right in front of your eyes and he's actually a manipulative monster yes it's so toxic and bad and just evil and like ugh. well not evil but like it's just bad bad news yeah it's it's also evidence of good writing because i just ugh. i feel gross feelings when i watch jet do his manipulative thing 
Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's great writing. You're right in that we now see it for being a manipulation, but in the beginning we didn't. So it was yes. more subtle. And now that we're really on to them, it's getting more and more obvious and more and more disgusting. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, two things. So since since Avatar came back to Netflix and is airing and people have been binging it um, as old fans and new fans alike, I did come across this one tweet. I do not have it in front of me, so I can't cite the person who tweeted it. But they were like, watching Jet reminds me of my terrible taste in men because I was instantly attracted to Jet, even though he turned out to be a manipulative <laughs> monster. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, yep. <laughs> Also, this is what I was referring to earlier about something that it reminded me of. So, you know, Jet in a lot of ways is reminiscent of Peter Pan, right? Yeah. He lives in the trees with his freedom fighters and spends his day sabotaging the Fire Nation, a lot like the Lost Boys and uh, Neverland's Pirates. Um, but Jet also has a dark side to him. And so it reminded me a lot of the Peter Pan character in Brahms' book, The Child Thief. Have you heard about that book? No. I don't hear about many books, though, to be fair. You may know of Brahm. I forget his first name, but he's a, a really popular horror and dark gothic kind of art. Okay. I think he's even worked in the comic realm, too. I'm going to look him up right now. Oh, yeah, I've seen this. Is this his? Wait, does he do art, too? Yes, he's known as an artist. I feel like I've definitely seen this before. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So one of his books that is uh, really popular is The Child Thief. And it's a retelling of the Peter Pan story, but it's like dark. Oh, <laughs> and no. I read the book years and years ago. But after watching this episode, I felt like there were so many parallels between Jet and his version, Brahms' version of Peter. Because in The Child Thief, Peter is a more sinister character who purposefully looks for forgotten and abused children to take back to Avalon which is the book's version of Neverland, to live as bloodthirsty children warriors who fight the flesh eaters, which is also the book's version of the pirates. Mm. Um, but everything Brahms Peter does is for his end goal of defeating the flesh eaters, even if it's at the expense of innocent lives. And mm. so I thought that was really interesting how Jet gathered up all of these um, orphans. orphans, yes, who were affected by the Fire Nation, lost their homes, lost their families, and bands them together for the purpose of defeating the Fire Nation in this valley. And even later, Pipsqueak is like, it's okay, we just follow Jet's lead and everything works out fine. But yeah. really, Jet's like, anything it takes, any amount of lives, I'm going to use them to defeat the Fire Nation. Mm. There's um hearing about Brom and the Child Thief reminded me of a fan theory for Peter Pan that's super dark. Oh, I think I've heard this before. Remind me. So in this theory or headcanon or whatever you want to call it, Peter Pan is the only one who doesn't age. So all of the lost boys eventually age. And when they become grownups, he kind of disavows them and they become the pirates. So in that kind of way of thinking, Captain Hook was once a lost boy that was cast aside because he grew up, which he has no control over. So even Peter Pan doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. that's right. I did hear that because that would follow the logic of like, Peter's not a human. Right. He's not from our world, but the Lost Boys are. And so when he captures them, they continue to age in Neverland. Yep. Yeah, that is that is a really cool theory. Anyway, Jet tells Pipsqueak and Smellerby to take Sokka for a long walk. And he catches up with Katara and Aang to show them where to bend water into the reservoir. Along the way, Katara apologizes for Sokka's behavior, and Jet tells her Sokka already apologized. Katara and Aang are shocked to hear this. 
Jet tells them that he was surprised too, but assumed that maybe Katara had talked to him and whatever she said got through to him. Now he's out on a scouting mission with Pipsqueak and Smellerby. <laughs> it was just like, Katara was like, Sokka listened? Like that was her whole, like, <laughs> right? Jet was like, yeah, you like, you must have talked to him or something because he sounded like he was like really coming around. And she was like, wait a minute. Which is so smooth. Yeah. Like to say, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was weird too. Maybe it's something you did. She's like, oh, maybe it was. I am so great. Yeah, I, I'm good at convincing things. And it's like, <laughs> no, that should have been another big red flag for you, Katara. Yeah, exactly. They reach a series of steam geysers on the bank of a small river. Jet tells Aang and Katara he needs them to help the underground water reach the surface with water bending so it feeds into the river. Katara is self-conscious and unsure of being able to bend water she can't see, but when Jet puts his hands on her shoulders and tells her he knows she can do this, she smiles shyly and seems to forget her fears. This is even harder to watch after seeing Jet admit to lying and manipulating and not caring about the innocent lives in the village mm -hmm. that he wants to destroy. It's like uber gross. Yeah, he's a disgusting individual. I will restate what I said earlier. Go away, Jet. Be gone. <laughs> Jet out of here. Jet out of here. Standing on opposite sides of one of the geysers, Aang and Katara begin to pull the subterranean water to the surface with their combined bending. After a few moments, the water gushes out of the ground and flows heavily into the river with the underground pressure. Jet congratulates them and says a few more geysers should fill the reservoir, which is where he's headed now. Katara says they'll meet him there when they're done. Actually, probably better if you meet me back at the hideout when you're done, he says. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Don't follow me. Go, go to where I want you to go. Don't worry about what I'm doing. Just do this and go here. Terrible. I know. His lies and misdirections are flowing out of him as fast as the water flowing out of those geysers. Hey, I like that. <laughs> I like that sentence a lot. Sometime later, Katara and Aang finish with the geysers. Katara eagerly suggests that they head to the reservoir to catch up with Jet. Aren't they supposed to meet back at the hideout? Asks Aang. No, they're finished early, replies Katara. And she's sure Jet will be happy to see them. She just like really just wants to see Jet as much as possible. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. All the time. Just wants to be around him. To which I say, Katara, cool your jets. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Somewhere in the woods, Pipsqueak and Smellerby lead a restrained Sokka through the trees. Sokka asks them how they can stand by and do nothing while Jet wipes out a whole town. Jet's a great leader, replies Pipsqueak. When they follow what he says, everything turns out okay. At that moment, Sokka spots some of the lychee traps that had captured Momo a few days before on the forest floor. He quickly hatches a plan and takes off through the trees, carefully jumping over each trap. Smellerby and Pipsqueak chase after him, but they trigger two of the traps and are swept off the ground, allowing Sokka to get away. On the hill above the reservoir, Katara and Aang see the freedom fighters piling barrels of blasting jelly at the base of the dam. Katara is confused by this, but Aang puts the pieces together and realizes that Jet is going to destroy the dam. Realizing how this puts the nearby town in danger, he prepares to fly away on his glider to find Jet and stop him. Just as he leaves the ground, however, Jet appears and tackles him. Katara continues to insist that Jet wouldn't purposefully destroy the dam, but Jet confirms that this is exactly what he's doing. And as someone who lost her mother to the Fire Nation, it's what she would do too, if she stopped to think about it. I hate that i i hate love it though because like she's like jet wouldn't do that and i think his line is literally something or not literally it's something along the lines of yeah i would 
Like, I feel like he says, like, yes, I would. No, he does. He says, yes, yes, I would. And you would, too, if you would stop to think about that, which is like, oh, my gosh, such gaslighting. It's like, yes, I am. And this is the reality. And you would agree with me if you were smart enough to realize it. But also the second time that someone corrects Katara's point of view of what's going on. Uh Uh-huh. So Iroh did it. What was that last episode? Uh, yeah, the waterbedding scroll. Where she's like, yeah. <laughs> this is all my fault. No, it's not. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. And now in here where she's like, he wouldn't do that. He goes, have you been paying attention? I would do that. And I am doing that. I am a yes. bad guy. Open your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Stop seeing the good in people, Katara, for just a second. Just one second. Just have like a, a sensibility of things around you, which is, yes. I understand now after saying that, a lot to ask of a, what, 14-year-old? I know. Yeah, having a first crush. Yeah. I want you to understand me, Katara. I thought your brother would understand, but... Finally, understanding the danger they are all in, Katara demands to know where her brother is. Jet reaches out to touch her cheek, and in a moment of rage, she waterbends him away using the water from her pouch. Jet is flung to the ground, but quickly gets back up again, and Aang leaps into the trees to avoid Jet's attacks and calls to him that he's not going to fight him. You'll have to if you want your glider back, is Jet's reply before he leaps into the trays after Aang. I thought this was another example of Aang insisting on passivity instead of action, which yep. is what he did in The King of Omashu when he was fighting Bumi. Yeah, he, he doesn't want to take the stance of violence unless necessary. And even when it's necessary, like in this particular instance, he still is trying to like to not go down that path. And that is obviously a lot with his training and his overall outlook on life but like at some point he has to realize you have to jump into action and it can't be when someone is literally coming at you with really cool hook swords i know boomy calls him out during that fight in the king of amashu saying that ang is using that typical airbending tactic of avoiding and evading and he says quote sooner or later you'll have to strike back I think this is really a theme that we're going to continue to see throughout the series since it's something that Aang has to eventually come to terms with and address. Yeah. Aang defends himself against Jet's attacks with airbending until he can escape again. However, Jet is adamant and won't give up. Aang finally bends a long winding current of air that forces Jet back along the branch and then finally off of it. Before Jet can attack Aang on the ground, a huge blast of water forces him back into a tree trunk. It's Katara. She bends blast after blast of water into Jet from a nearby creek and then uses her ice breath to freeze him in place against the trunk. Then she demands to know why. Why did he lie to her? She trusted him and he betrayed her. Her ice creation, I'll call it, is super creepy. Like that sound that they use. The, the ice breath? The ice breath is super creepy. I didn't notice. What What's it's creepy like, about it? It's like this like whisper, this loud whisper mm. that like... Okay, yeah, I can see I that. It's it's very like it's I got it. It's very chilling. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I didn't even write that one down. That one just came to me. I'm very proud of it. Oh my gosh, I'm proud of you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh I think I didn't really pay much attention to it because I'm vaguely recalling what it sounds like and if I'm recalling correctly, it reminds me of Shiva in Final Fantasy 10 when she does some of her moves and so maybe I'm like not creeped out because i recognize it 
I don't know. It's just like the sound that it made was just like, and I think it might've been also in conjunction with like how angry Katara is at this point yeah. where it's just like, and how the ice just grows. Cause it has to, it originates from her. So it just seems to like almost like creeping crystal creep up jet and like encase him. Yes. That was very similar. Yeah. It was all very just like creepy and angry and just, it was, it, for me, I was genuinely scared for Jet for a moment. Mm. Or like even put yourself in Jet's shoes. You don't know her. You don't know what she's like. All you know is that she is seemingly easy to manipulate up until this point. And I think that's the noteworthy part of this, because for me, it was so satisfying to see Katara fight back after being manipulated by him. Yeah. Because I don't know, maybe it's the inherent themes of abuse that makes that so satisfying because the dynamic between Jet and Katara mirrors a lot of abusive relationships Mm -hmm. and her lines of, I can't believe I trusted you. You lied to me. You're sick. And I trusted you like that has the same kind of energy of a victim of abuse finally realizing the nature of the abuse. And so I think it feels really good to watch Katara be so strong in these scenes and fight back because I think a lot of victims in those situations want that strength, but then yeah. often don't. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Jet gets what is coming for him <laughs> in that scene. And Katara is the delivery. I, I would argue that he's not getting enough of what is coming to him. Oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> and he won't until yeah. book two. Yeah, fair. In the distance, a familiar bird call is heard. It's the freedom fighter signaling their position to Jet, and he whistles a bird call back. Suddenly worried, Katara demands, what is he doing? You're too late, he replies. Aang tries to take off with his glider, but it's too damaged to stay in flight. Katara kneels next to him, and together they hope that Sokka will be able to stop the disaster before it's too late. From his position high up in a tree, Longshot knocks a flaming arrow. He releases it, and the arrow arcs to the waiting blasting jelly at the base of the dam. To Katara's and Aang's horror, the dam explodes and the water from the reservoir rushes into the valley to engulf the Earth Kingdom village. Heartbroken that they weren't able to save the villagers, Katara turns on Jet and calls him a monster. This is a victory, Katara, he replies, unaffected by her anger. The Fire Nation is gone and this valley will be safe. It will be safe from you, agrees a voice, and Sokka appears over the hill alive and well. Yes! He tells Jet that he was able to warn the villagers just in time, and even though they didn't believe him at first, the old man they encountered in the forest vouched for him, so everyone got out in time. I love how that worked so well for him, because when you're watching this episode the first time, you see Sokka standing up for the old man, and that's kind of about it. When you watch it again, you notice that the old man kind of gives him a little bit of a look, which is very subtle. You obviously, I mean, I missed it the first time. And then it all is kind of like full circle. It pays off. And I really appreciated that. Yes, me too. Because otherwise you're watching this going, oh my God, is this actually happening? Yeah. And they really play it up like the horror of it and things getting swept away like that girl's doll, which I thought was so cute when yeah. Sokka arrives and says everyone got out safely. And then it pans to the little girl running to the river. She's yeah. like, this is pretty. <laughs> Jet calls Sokka a traitor for not helping him free the valley. No, Jet, you became the traitor when you stopped protecting innocent people, Sokka replies. Jet pleads for Katara to help him, but oh, have the tables turned. Without looking around, Katara tells him goodbye. Mm-hmm. Up in the sky, Aang asks Sokka why he went to the village instead of the dam. Let me guess, says Katara, your instincts told you. It truly is a proud moment for Sokka's instincts, until Aang points out that Sokka is flying them in the wrong direction. 
Sometimes your instincts are right, and sometimes your instincts are wrong. Oh, ho, 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 ho. And that's our episode. That's it. That's the episode. That was that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of emotions going into that. And yes, it's very interesting to kind of see overall Sokka really getting over his whole like Fire Nation equals evil by actually saving Fire Nation citizens from like certain death. Yeah. Yes, that was really cool. Um, a lot of a lot of growth for Sokka for sure in this episode. And also, if Sokka hadn't asked them all to walk instead of fly, they would have never stumbled upon Jet yep. or foiled his plot to destroy the nearby village. So, yep. you know, Sokka's instincts actually saved dozens of lives. Although I will say this, how many other villages are doomed because they're just flying on Appa all the time? Oh, no, don't say that. <laughs> Sorry, gang, you got to you gotta Sorry. ground yourself. You got to <laughs> like, start gotta walking. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like all the episodes. Well, I like 99% of the episodes. True, yes. Yeah, but, but there, you're right. There was a lot of good content in this, a lot of character development, a lot of exploration of some really heavy themes. Uh, yeah. I do also like how they turn the tables in this episode and initially present Jet as this great leader and everything that Sokka wants to be. And Sokka just wants everyone to almost blindly follow him and just accept that he's the leader and he's the one in charge. And then we are shown that that's actually not a great thing <laughs> because yeah. oftentimes with blind faith comes uh, a lot of really bad traits coming out in the leader. Oh, sure. Yeah. If, if there's no one left to challenge you, your perspective might get warped or you know, somewhere along the lines, you might forget about why you're actually doing the things you're doing. And I think that's what Team Avatar has really working for them is they're always keeping each other in check and they're always helping each other out. I do think that if I were to put one leader, like one little leader cap on someone, it would definitely be Sokka because yeah. like, like not just because he's my favorite, but like he's the only one that has any sort of training out of the three. Well, any sort of leadership training, let's say. And like Aang is, he doesn't want to be leader, which makes someone the worst leader. I know there's a lot of pieces of fiction that are just like, oh, you don't want to be the leader. You should be the leader just because of that. But then there's a lot of like, that's not fair to that person. Mm -hmm. Like if they don't want to be, be the leader, don't force them to do something they don't want to. And then Katara is, while capable and strong and sensitive and so inspiring, I don't think she's quite there yet with her journey to be a leader. Yes. Like, I think Sokka wants it. His instincts, as we've learned in this episode, are 95% correct most of the time. And he's also very much willing to take a look at himself and try to figure out, like, what he could do better and how he can change. Yeah, exactly. I think you make a good point that Katara gets there eventually and she does become a good leader in her own right. But yep. Right now, I think Sokka has the most raw talent for that. And yeah. he does have pretty good instincts, you know, all things all things considered. Yeah, for sure. So what was your moral of the episode, Greg? Please do tell. My moral of the episode. I just wanted, This is not my moral of the episode, but I do want to point out we have another instance of things not appearing to be as they are. Yes. If I the could have. The boomy theme. Yes. I could have worded that any more confusingly. I probably would have, but <laughs> we have seemingly good guys doing good things and it turns out they are not. 
So just want to put that out there. Actually, bad guys doing bad things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Moral of the story is, I think I said it in the beginning. If he's too cool for school, he probably is. (laughs) Yes, that's good. That's good. Probably bad news. So stay away. That's my moral. What about you? I think my moral of the episode is uh, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Yeah, I like it. I love it. <laughs> in this, in this so case, referring to check your instincts and your gut before you wreck yourself with your heart. Ooh, you've got a rhyme in there. I do. Jeez. Was not planned. That's great. This, this is a gold episode. I love it. Um, <laughs> what about MVP? Ooh, I think we might agree here. I have, yeah. I have a feeling my instincts are telling ah. me. That we might have the same MVP. Well, what's yours? And I'll tell you mine. Of course it's Sokka. Yes. He like steals the show in this. Absolutely. He does. Not only is he correct for just his gut reaction alone, he is starting to think ahead. Like we were talking about earlier where he's like, maybe we shouldn't be relying on Appa when we don't have to be. And just trying Mm -hmm. to like minimize uh, what makes them stand out, which in this case is a giant flying bison. Right. He also stands up for the old man, which is going against his own personal point of view and everything that he's mm-hmm. known about the world so far. Yeah, his own bias. Yeah, he, he goes against it. So like, you have to think about the journey that he goes through in this episode alone, where up until this point, Fire Nation equals evil, always. That's just like the sun sets, a broken clock is right twice a day, and the Fire Nation are evil. And you see him standing <laughs> up for the Fire Nation in this, albeit an old man, but I think we're taught, I said it earlier, we're starting to see him realize that Fire Nation aren't just Zuko and faceless minions in Ozai. Mm-hmm. There's more to it than that. There are people that just like, you know, the Water Tribe is a people and the Earth Kingdom is a people. Yes. Yes. The people of the Fire Nation are not responsible for the actions of their leaders. Yes. Which I think that's, that's a major theme in life too. You know, yes. when you talk about uh, powers in the world and countries. It's like, you know, not every single person from that country is complicit to the actions of their country and their country's leaders. Right. And that's like, that hits super hard right now. Yes. Especially yeah. right now. Yes. Yeah. I do have a little fun fact. Um, it's more like a little fun detail. And I think it's appropriate that we talked about the Cabbage Merchants article at the start of this episode because when the flood starts. I saw this. Yes. Right when the water reaches the village, you can see a stall of cabbages on the left-hand side. I actually, I'm saying this with a lot of glee and excitement. It is going to be anticlimactic, so don't listen to my tone. I panned through to see if I could see the cabbage merchant in like the citizens, and he was not there. Oh, man, that would have been so good. I went through, I was like, this would be a perfect time to just like have him in there and i thought i saw him but it was just a guy like the headdress was different and he just looked a little bit different but i was like man that would have been so perfect to just have him go in there but yeah more cabbage falls victim to the antics of the avatar <laughs> yes okay and that's going to be all the time we have for this week's episode thank you so much for continuing to listen and to support us through your feedback your reviews your emails We love you guys, and we hope that you will continue to let us know what you think of each episode. And remember, if you're caught up on all the episodes and want to hang out with me, you can do so every Monday and Friday evenings starting at around 8, 8 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time over at twitch.tv forward slash Booster Greg. 
And you can find me, Acorn, on Twitter at AcornBandit and online at joysons.com where I create enamel pins. And just a reminder, the Appa pin is out. It yes. is cute and you need it in your life. So you please check it out. I can't wait to get mine. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, it's in the mail. Uh, next time on Avatar, the podcast. The best use of a tarp during the dry season. And crossing the Great Divide. No air bison. No problem. All of this and more next time on Avatar, Avatar the, the podcast. podcast. Avatar, the podcast, is a part of the Geek Generation Network. Check out all of our podcasts at thegeekgeneration.com. <laughs> <laughs>